Look, I, I don't get it. I don't understand what, what all the controversy you're talking about is all about. I, I mean, are we just talking about what I did last week? Is that the whole deal? Because to me, that wasn't a big deal. I was just doing what was best for business. What was best for my business. The Shield, Michael, the greatest faction in the history of WWE, created by me. You don't think I have the right to destroy my own creation? It takes an architect, a mastermind, to put together a faction like The Shield. You think Dean Ambrose is in any way responsible for that? Dean Ambrose is a lunatic. Given a week to his own device, he's face down in a ditch. And Roman Reigns golden boy. You'll never see anger or fury in a man like you've seen in Roman Reigns. But without someone to harness that, to control it, he's nothing. He's worthless. Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns are nothing without me. They owe me every ounce of success they have ever achieved. But let me ask you a question, Michael. Why is this such a surprise? I took the shield to the very top, as high as we could go. We beat everybody, all right? We conquered the world, Michael. Payback, we beat evolution in a clean sweep. And from every experience in life, you should learn something. You know what I learned from evolution? I learned that to be a success in this business, you have to evolve. You have to adapt. of Seth Rollins. And another thing, another thing that you won't admit, and that none of you will admit, it took a lot of guts to do what I did last week. And everybody's fixated on the fact that I stabbed my brothers in the back, that I betrayed my brothers. And maybe to Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose, we were brothers, but to me, they were just business partners. And I severed a business relationship, you know, for two years, every night. I came out here and I put my fist out and I said, believe in this shield. And every night, what I meant is what I'm going to tell you right now, is that you and everybody else better start believing in Seth Rollins.
Hello folks and welcome to episode 10 of Wild Thing. Yes, we've made it to episode 10. Just like Boris Johnson, we've somehow, against all odds, managed to hit number 10. And of course, today's intro should signal our topic for today, which is the amazing feud between John Moxley or Dean Ambrose, as he was formerly called in WWE, and his former Shield brother, the dastardly Seth Rollins. This feud takes place following the breakup of the Shield in 2014, when bad old Seth turned on his brothers Roman and Dean, much to everyone's shock. And today's intro also offers a clue as to our guest for today. You may have heard the backing vocals of Australian pop icon Kylie Minogue, as she can be heard playing in our intro, and of course our guest is also from Australia. He is our first returning guest ever to the podcast, and he is from WrestlingHeadlines.com. He has the magnificent AEW Match Guide podcast under his belt, and of course, he's also Australian. So he is an absolute gentleman, and he is Sam Brown. Sam, how the hell are you today? Joey, you're too, you're too kind. I'm, I'm very well, thank you, uh, and it's great to be back. I really enjoyed the first time that I was on, and I've loved listening to the other people that you've had on talking about John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, my, my favourite wrestler of all time, uh, and I'm so excited to be back talking about the time that is basically the thing that made me a wrestling fan, uh, this this little stretch of TV that we're going to going to be watching. It was so refreshing to go back and watch it. I've watched some of these matches over time, repeat viewings, but I've, I haven't gone back and watched it in such detail, looking at all of the Raws, most of the Smackdowns, and it was really fun to go back and watch and, and just have that nostalgia hit and relive. It's such a, an exciting era. It's also a really interesting era for WWE as a whole. And as a Dean Ambrose fan, it, this was the making of him in WWE in many ways. Oh, well, we're going to get straight into it today because we usually start off with our background to our guests today and obviously what got them into wrestling, what they approve of and what they don't and their early memories of John Moxley. But we've already done that on our very first episode of the FCW Feud Regal. So we're going to bypass all that. We're going to give you a little bit of a different sort of question. What was your opinion on The Shield? What was your early thoughts of them before we get into this? Because this feud here with Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, it obviously relies heavily on the past, their acquaintance in that particular faction. So did you like The Shield? What were your thoughts on them and over the period of their year and a half or so of uh, dominance in WWE what did you make of them it's interesting you ask that question because to give you a bit of background on my my fandom as a wrestling fan I started watching in about 2008 and then I sort of dropped out of watching in 2010 about midway through there there just wasn't a whole lot happening that was engaging me like it was when I initially started watching uh, and every now and again I'd read a dirt sheet or two or maybe catch a match but pretty much ignore it until I heard that CM Punk had, and I thought this is interesting and then I read a bit more and I realized that Daniel Bryan was on the way to but what looked like it was probably going to be a WrestleMania. Well, no, I was really sure, but it was sort of heading in the direction of him being in the the main event for WrestleMania. I was like, I really want to watch this. So I uh, I watched by nefarious means. I um, caught Elimination Chamber 2014, and that was the first pay per view I'd watched in a long time. And of course, that match that that has the match of the Shield versus the Wyatts. And yes. I had not seen any of those guys previously. I had zero experience with those guys. I came in completely cold and I was 
absolutely blown away by it. I was so impressed. I had like goosebumps watching it the first time. I was immediately taken by uh, Dean Ambrose. He immediately stood out. But all of the Shield, they looked, they all looked incredible, as did Bray Wyatt, as did Luke Harper. And Eric Rowan, he wasn't my favorite to watch necessarily, but he still had like this incredible look. And the just the chaos, the controlled chaos, the story that they told was absolutely incredible so so that was my first impression of the shield i was completely blown away uh, and then as it went up towards wrestlemania i was watching because i wanted to see daniel bryan but because i was so excited by what happened with the shield i, I went back and watched it and i was immediately into the shield and, and thought they were a great act and then of course straight after wrestlemania you had the evolution feud which was just even more incredible six-man tag matches uh just one after the other and, and you could feel that this was like a movement that was happening and a wave that was cresting. And and I was just so over the moon to be watching it. I stumbled upon them. I feel like the perfect time. That Wyatt match you mentioned, I literally just finished recording an episode and, and that will have obviously hopefully dropped by this episode's come out. And I really personally believe that that was a, a really perfectly booked six-man match where you had six young guys all fairly new all fairly fresh and they all had a point to prove and you were allowed to have the creative mm. freedom to basically pull off a match where not only do the the crowd eat it up because the crowd were phenomenal that night but everyone got over everyone looked strong particularly yep. i think luke harper i think that was his first really chance to shine as a sort of an in-ring performer you know and he, he knocks it out of the park seth rollins at this stage is exciting he is bouncing all over the place he is full of fury he's full of uh, fast-paced mm. action and like the, the shield as a trio they complemented each other they all had their weaknesses there's no doubt about that but whatever weakness one of these guys lacked it was made up for yep. by one of the other two like, like seth rollins obviously he's like he wasn't exactly a vocal genius he wasn't he was very very rigid very nervous nearly on the microphone mm. where dean ambrose would do most of the talk and he would be the vocal point whereas he probably wouldn't have the same sort of look or same sort of prowess that roman would have this guy was like a ready-made looking star he, he had a very good facial expressions very good aura about him and he, he did mm. what he did well these, these are three guys that complement each other really and he was, well at, at that point as well he was massive roman reigns was massively over like that that match against the wyatts when he starts to pull back bray wyatt's hands when bray wyatt's going to give him sister abigail the crowd is just losing their mind as you're sort of saying there i think the thing that i one of the things that i liked about them was it felt like you had three distinct stars and and they were all young and they they all looked so hungry and i'm a big believer that in booking you you need like three or four people to be the top of at the top of a company you know you look at the attitude area you had initially you had like uh, austin rock and mankind and then mankind sort of dipped out and you plug triple h in and you can plug other characters into that at different points but you always have like a core of three or four um wrestlers you know new jet new gen you've got um diesel taker Hart, and michaels uh, or rock and wrestling you've got savage warrior hogan so and before before those guys you had pipe you had hogan piper and andre um like you, you have those core that core group that are your stars and then you plug people into those and and you know in this shield unit you had three ready-made stars and you had like a ready-made story for them and they were all over and they all complemented one another in, in terms of their, their different in-ring styles, their different strengths, their different weaknesses, as, as you were saying. But it was such a rarity to have anyone really book strong 
WWE as a mm. especially in 2013 2014 50 50 booking was definitely was apparent you know then not everyone got such protection and god knows why the shield got it but they did they went over early in their, their feuds they continued strong throughout the year even this time even when they look mm. in against the wilds for example they're eventually the, the tables are turned they're starting to turn as a face team and their own tactics are being used against them but you look at them and you think to yourselves like they're still looking very strong in the feet like Roman ends up three on one in that particular match and like he makes a huge flurry lots of fire to try and overcome the odds he doesn't do it but he looks he goes down fighting and looks strong as a result that does not happen these days unfortunately as a, a, on, a, on a whole in WWE but these guys have firmly torn face they have that battle with the, with the authority and of course with evolution and this is where we we restart today's story is this where it's the night after the battle of evolution at payback they have just completed a, a nice two win um on the trot on let's say on pay-per-views and the shield are looking pretty good and of course you know we have triple h randy orton come down to the ring they're batista and seth turns on his buddies what were your thoughts on this i have lots of lots of chat here about this but sam where do you begin what were your feelings on this it was brilliant like the timing of it was perfect uh, and the fact they picked Rollins was also perfect. Most people had Ambrose pegged to be the person who turned who turned on the Shield at that point, and they had actually leaned into that in the specifically in that Wyatt match that we that we talked about, where Dean Ambrose is the one that sort of ends up deserting the Shield almost by going after Bray Wyatt and pursuing like this individual uh, agenda that he sort of has uh, and letting down the team, which is you know their their strength had been their strength in numbers and their ability to work together. And when that teamwork starts to fray, that's what causes them to lose that match. And, and everyone had pegged Ambrose for that also specifically because he'd worked so effectively as a heel before then in FCW, as we talked about, and also on the Indies before that, but picking doing it at this point, because they were literally at the pinnacle of their run. They had beaten evolution who were, I guess, like if you look at the history of, um, of factions in the WWE, you've the biggest faction before the Shield was probably the Nexus, who you know that's it's almost like the Shield was an upgraded version of that. You know the Nexus was much bigger and and did have some really good members of it, but was definitely not to the caliber of the Shield and didn't get the booking protection that the Shield got. And before that, you sort of had Legacy, which was really just. Randy Orton and as good as Rhodes is now uh, and DBRC did actually look like he had something about him at the time even though that didn't end up playing out at the time really they were just his underlings it was really a, a Randy Orton project and then before that the big the biggest faction that had been was Evolution and Evolution was a team that had that booking protection it had always been revered they won the majority of the time it made stars out of well you could argue that evolution didn't necessarily make a giant star out of what they the way out of that but it certainly brought him to the fruition and batista and triple h of course had a phenomenally successful feud that had a big mania main event as part of it uh so this was like a revered and held up stable and the shield went over them they dominated them they didn't just beat them by the hair on their chin they beat them three nil they like whitewashed them they could have run kept running as a you know like a top face act because they were really popular at the time but they picked that moment to split them because it would have the most impact and as i said like picking seth rollins to be the one to turn on it actually worked really well in terms of giving him a way out it was obvious that roman reigns would be 
would have a big impact at the time. I would argue he had the most popular spots. He was the one that always got, and the, the matches were booked to do this, of course. It depends how much weight you give the CM Punk. I don't think I don't think that was the case, and I don't think people were saying that it was a vehicle for Reigns, but it was obvious that he was someone that the WWE were very interested in because of his lineage, his his legacy, uh, family lineage. And also just his look, he, you know, you just need to look at him and be like, yeah, that's someone that Vince is going to be into. It wasn't that he was pushed at the expense of the other two. He just probably got a little bit of extra shine. But but Seth, he had like a great dynamic in-ring work, but he didn't necessarily have the character stuff that, say, Dean did and, and that Roman Reigns would kind of naturally have hopefully, <laughs> and and did have at the time in terms of being just like this badass who just says a few badass lines and then whoops, whoops someone's ass. Seth, Seth really didn't have the character to like fall into, but making him the one that turned on the shield gave him a character. Um, making him the one that sold out the shield gave him a character to play. This was the perfect way to break them up. I don't think they could have done it any better. I'd love that we have lots of questions based on the booking here, but we'll just talk about the segment initially first. Like, Roman, he obviously is the one who gets hit by the chair, and the facial expressions by Dean Ambrose, I think, are really good. He looks, mm. he sells yep. it really well. He looks genuinely shocked. I do mm. think, like, when Evolution first came out, the crowd is kind of dead. I think I think Evolution really weren't the same kind of Evolution that obviously there was back in, you know, years mm. previously. They seemed to suck the energy out of the crowd a little bit, but this... Am things up completely here, and I think I gave Triple H, you know, and probably Randy Orton a new lease of life nearly by having Seth join them. But initially, do you think they should have broke up at all? Do you think this was the right time to do it? Do you think that, like, if they were going to push Roman, could they have pushed them as part of the Shield rather than as a separate entity? I guess the booking out of it was the the mistake that they probably made was to give the initial Seth Rollins feud to Dean Ambrose. Now, I love the Seth Rollins Dean Ambrose feud, so I wouldn't want it any other way. But if you're looking at this from a lens of like, how did they screw Roman Reigns up? Because what they, like Roman Reigns is fine now. He is he is absolutely in the pocket right now. He is killing it. This um, is eight years later role. though. <laughs> but, but if you, yeah, but if you're looking at like, it took them a long time to get there. And if you're looking at this from the lens of like, what could they have done so that, that the issues they had with Roman Reigns wouldn't have happened. One of the things that you might've had is that he might've been, more immediately going after Seth Rollins. And as we go through this, he, he actually was meant to. He was probably the one that was going to have the Hell in a Cell match with Seth Rollins, but he got injured. So he couldn't so he couldn't do that. And that was a probably a an issue of timing, which he which was beyond their control. But it happens basically. And there's, there's, yeah. you have to adapt. Yeah. And and look, storyline wise, like Roman was saying, look, I'm gonna go after the rest of the authority because they're the ones that have done like they have set this up. So I'm not I know you can I, I trust you, my brother Dean Ambrose, because that's actually something that they have. They have that trust and they they had that trust as a trio and obviously Seth lost that trust. But Roman and Amb that doesn't affect Roman and Ambrose. And so he's like, I trust you to deal with this. I'm going to we're still on the same mission, but I'm going to take the left, you take the right. Maybe they could have had them present a more unified front as they went through these next few months, but you know, that's not what they did. And unfortunately, it's like the first minor fault, which they probably could have got over. But there's there's so many more things that will happen down the line for Roman Reigns that uh, that don't. But you know what? As I said, like, I think the Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose feud that we're about to embark on, like long term, I think this is one of the greatest things that the WWE has ever produced. So I wouldn't want them to change it at all. <laughs> 
Um, before we get into that, do you think Daniel Bryan's injury at the time kind of forced our hand to sort of listen? This is the time now we have to try and get Roman ready because we've lost our mm. next big star. We've given this guy the ball. And unfortunately, we can't continue yeah. to carry it. And at the same time, do you think Roman could have been a really good choice as the month to turn him? Because I always look at this guy as he has very natural heel tendencies as well. He's, he's, he's a pretty mm. good face as well, but you can see it now. And I think obviously in hindsight, it's easy to look back on. But if they would have turned him instead, you would have had a natural baby face in, in Ambrose as we got anyway. And I think Seth Rollins as a, as a worker was a really tremendous in-ring mm. baby face as well. And they could have really done their well to sort of elevate this guy similar to the way The Rock was when he first turned heel, like, you know, and then joined the Nation of Domination, like in that sort of sense. Yeah, and look, they could have even played into that with Roman Reigns saying, I've I looked at the tapes and I looked at what my cousin did so many years ago and he he put his money where his mouth was and he backed himself. And that's what I've chosen to do by joining the joining with the authority. Yeah, uh, it could have worked. I think that that possibly could have worked. As I said, I don't think beyond this feud, I would have worried about Seth Rollins as a face. I think Seth Rollins really only worked as a face in 2017 when he had the feud with 2017 2018 when he had the feud with Triple H which was as a result of all of this stuff he's doing with the authority now he had to be a heel beforehand he had to have that history with Triple H to then become a face off the back of it and and have that redemption story which he wouldn't really have had at this point he he would have like he had the working style I guess that that could have worked as a face but in WWE, you really need to be able to have a character. You really need to be able to cut promos. And I I do like Seth Rollins, but I don't think he was a natural, particularly at this point. And you can see it in the early stages of this, watching the Raw. He he is still really searching to get that character. And being the, the dickhead that sold out the Shield is a much easier character to go into and being you know like the future of the company the person that the authority is backing is a much easier thing for him to go into than i think we could have got the kind of the reins that they needed to have was the reins that shows up in the june 9 so when the the shield respond to set to seth rollins turning on them and dean ambrose is super intense but then roman reigns is the one that delivers like the final line of just being he sounds like a badass. That's the kind of thing they needed to just do more with Reigns to make it work. I think the alignment that they got, I think it was correct. Yeah, and I, I think Reigns, again, like, I, think, I don't think it's necessarily his fault mm. that he didn't necessarily get over, but yeah. that, that, that is a conversation for another day. Seth has oh, you mentioned Daniel Bryan as well. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, you completely right ahead, the Daniel Bryan stuff. Um, I think, like, it probably, it possibly did. Daniel Bryan, I think, in, as a whole, him getting injured meant that these guys probably got pushed like a year too soon to the vet, to the absolute main event. Like I think that he would have, he would probably have been a bridge to give them just like a little bit of extra time. Cause the whole thing with Reigns was that people were like, this is too soon. We like Reigns, but it's too soon. And if Daniel Bryan had been around the whole time, he would have been, I guess the bridge to, to help them get to, to the point where these three were the, the three biggest stars in the company. Well, I think, Daniel Bryan obviously was a big loss to them. But again, the, the, yeah. these three guys are pretty strong. They've looked good for the mm. last year and a half. And there's no doubt yeah. about it that these guys, they're well capable. And it's, it's just a matter of trust at this stage. And they turn set. And that's the best way of putting this question. But would you say there's any sort of theory or sort of credence to the Triple H align himself with whoever is going to turn himself on the heel just to give himself a bit more heat and a bit more relevance? Because at this stage, 
Evolution are kind of falling flat. Batista's gone. Him himself and Randy just don't seem to be really generating the heat that they need. And Randy seems to be personally phoning at this stage. He doesn't seem to be too bothered, especially in this segment. He's just sort of standing there. Like, do you think this is a, a, a political move nearly by Triple H to sort of say, well, listen, I'm going to keep myself relevant by having this hot torn coat align with me and I'm going to make myself look better by proxy mm. because this is Triple H. He, he has a sort of a, you know, a reputation for this kind of things. It, look, it is a shrewd move, of course. It's it's a very shrewd move for Evolution to be the ones that go against the Shield. You know, you've got like the hottest face team in in wrestling at the time, and it's like, well, I'll, I guess I'll just uh, form up with Randy and uh, Batista and the boys, and like it's it's a very shrewd move, of course. But you know, you look at the run into to WrestleMania 30, which is only a few months before the Shield break up. The authority is like absolutely killing it as a heel act they are getting completely booed out of the building and by getting daniel bryan over in a way that no one had been (laughs) since like cm punk probably even more than cm punk like since like stone cold steve austin and daniel bryan of course is playing his role perfectly in that but it's the authority as well that's doing the job so i think it's a shrewd move to put it's a shrewd move by triple h of course to keep himself relevant but also as I said, like Seth Rollins is inexperienced as a character. All of these guys are inexperienced singles wrestlers on the WWE stage. They're, of course, very good as a trio. And and Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins had proved themselves as singles wrestlers before, not on the WWE main roster stage. So putting himself around them was a also just a good move to have like a veteran hand in there, a veteran hand in the ring to help out as I said, like Seth Rollins' weakest thing was was the promos, and and he was someone who could help carry that character load and help Seth Rollins feel comfortable in the row in in that role. Of course, we've mentioned a whole lot of times the the issues with Reigns and uh, Rollins, but like Dean, he just slips into this role as being this rabid man who's just on a mission to get revenge he just slips into it like a glove he is so perfect in the role even though everyone thought he was going to be the heel the crowd is like immediately behind him immediately drawn to him his like chaotic violent energy is so perfect um to be the guy that just like is constantly popping up and destroying seth rollins or getting in seth rollins way as we're going to go through in this feud yeah, and he, there's no one really like Dean Ambrose on the roster at this stage. He was he had that sort of no. unpredictability energy to him. And you can see as the next week comes on, especially as Seth explains himself, he's saying Seth's the cancer within. He was the cancer that's out there destroying mm. the shield. Well, Seth comes out all suited and booted. He's obviously corporate himself up for lack of a better word and he's telling the world you know listen he's uh, he hasn't sold out he's bought in which i thought was a really good line but from a kayfabe mm. point of view do you think it was the smartest or logical thing for someone in seth's position to do after he's been part of a very successful dominant th- trio for the last oh, year and a half and he's just successfully destroyed the authority in the last probably three pay-per-views should he be joining them is this a good move yeah look to understand that we have to talk about seth Rollins' character um and and what he is what he values what he his ultimate motives are in in wrestling and as a character seth rollins is a guy that is obsessed with his own success you know in fcw he was the f he was the fcw iron man champion he was the first nxt champion he's a guy that wants success and is driven to to go to any means to do that and he saw the landscape of the wwe and he realized that he 
he he saw the failed projects, um, the the people coming through like Dolph Ziggler, Cody Rhodes, like Drew McIntyre, like Sheamus, who were constantly getting beaten by guys like John Cena and The Undertaker and Triple H and Randy Orton, and he realized he needed a team. Uh, so he got Dean Ambrose, who was his greatest rival in FCW, and he convinced Dean, you know, Dean Ambrose is a guy who forges relationships in fire and, and earns respect in blood. He's still like that today, as we're seeing with the the BCC. And so Dean Ambrose had an inbuilt respect with Seth Rollins because of the matches and the, the fights they'd shared. And he got Roman Reigns because, you know, looking at Roman Reigns, why wouldn't you want that guy on your side? And he used the the shield as a vehicle to propel himself up the roster and, and put himself into a position where he could get that success. And he, he got as far as he thought that the shield could go. Like, where else was there left for the shield to go at that point? Like, what were they going to do? He, at that point, for him to go further, he needed to actually launch by himself. He couldn't continue to have these other two around him. So it made perfect sense from his character point of view when you see it through the lens of, like, this is a guy who built the shield. He was the architect of the shield who built the shield as a vehicle for his own success. And, you know, that's not to say that the brotherhood he felt with Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns wasn't real and that the blood they spilled together, it was, it was real. But ultimately like his motive was to be the top of the company. And he got, they got to the top of the company together. They'd beaten evolution and Seth Rollins then needed to distance himself from the two people who'd helped him get there. And that's how he did it. Yeah. And it's clear from Dean's at least promo here. He wants Seth. Roman wants Randy. Their paths are more or less set mm. as they come up into these pay-per-views. And they both square off into different Money in the Bank ladder matches. Seth and mm. Dean are going into the Money in the Bank briefcase itself. While Roman goes for the championship that has been vacated. So it's, you know, it's, just, it's a simple enough build. But before we be, just before yeah, we get to the ahead. money in the bank, I, I just wanted to mention with the promos that Dean does, and and we'll go back to this over and over again. But like he makes standard WWE verbiage sound so much more intense than it has any right to do, and so much more believable than it has any right to do in the the promo for when after that just after they've broken up, like the cold fury while he's delivering these lines. Uh, and he's like shaking as he as he does it, and the way he says like my brother, it, it's it's so good, and it just immediately shows why he was perfect to be the the guy who would be the pursuer. And you can see he's growing as well here. He's growing yeah. as a, as a, he's feeding off the crowd, like as he does even today. The crowd feeds off him, and it's like a reverse vicious circle where they're both feeding off each other and he is gaining traction here and as he goes on to this this feud it's fairly you know it's 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 not as strong as it probably could be it's it's i'm gonna attack set set's gonna attack me in the sly and it's gonna be backwards and forwards and like there's not i, I feel like this should have had a lot more juice as it initially started and not that it was poor by any means but i always felt this could have been better this could have been just a little bit more heat into it but i felt it was in a, a holding pattern till it got the money in the bank and at least it got the battleground it felt like this was just motoring along to the next stage and we do get the money in the bank and first of all before we even get to this what did you make of his, his new attire he's lost the shield what team look he's now going forward the white vest and jeans was this something you were a fan of or were you thinking this was more Jimmy Wang Yang I uh, look Dean Ambrose attire in WWE I never hated it but I never really liked it I'd constantly just think like what could he wear like what what would be better for him to wear but i just could not think of it. like i don't think he's not a guy who's going to wear like 
tights and a kick pad. You know, he's not going to be where the Seth Rollins look. You know, you don't. He's not going to be wrestling in a wrestling single like like the Kurt Angle style with straps. I guess the only other option would have been the the trunks, um, which he was what he wore in FCW and and before he was in the before he was in the WWE at all before he was in FCW. Um, but you know, he's he's a bit scrawny at this point, particularly like he's not super built. And so, you know, when you're wearing that and you're going up against, you know, next to some of the guys that are in WWE, you do risk not necessarily looking the way that you want to look in the WWE. But that said, like, I don't think the wife beater and jeans were that great either. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I can't think of a better attire from at this stage. So I'm happy with this, but at the same time, it, I used to, I, just a little pet peeve of mine is with the jeans i just think oh, i can't take this guy seriously as a main event really because of this so it was like a damned if he does damned if he doesn't kind of situation but listen it is what it is and mm. i've come to yeah. accept it and it's a, a past sort of a reference now at this stage but yeah i wasn't completely upset about it as some people seem to be at the time but the money in the bank ladder match comes around and it's not the usual kind of money in the bank ladder match this just it's filled with spots but the spots seem to mean something there's not just spots for the sake of spots and there's a central story of Seth versus Dean. What were your thoughts generally on the match? It's again, it's not a huge part of the Seth and Dean story, but again, it gets us on to the next stage. In the era where ladder matches are just a dime a dozen, and that's like over the last ten years, even Money in the Bank's like there's a Money in the Bank every year, and they have multiple matches at that Money in the Bank. In this one, they were having two. This one is one that stands out because it's built around a story. Like you've got all of the normal crazy spots but it's built around a story of Dean and Seth. Uh, and because of that, it's one of the best pay- It's one of the best money in the bank matches they've done. I, I don't know where it would rank personally. I don't, I don't have any want to go back and watch all of the different money in the bank they matches I've ever had. They all kind of blend together but at this stage, to be honest. Exactly, because, because they don't necessarily all have a central story like this. And I think this, this is, as I said, I think this is one of the best money in the bank matches. And it's because it gives it just gives something for everything else to flow around. Like there's obviously other people in this who've got nothing to do with Dean versus Seth, but having that central narrative that they can keep going back to. And of course the ending plays right into that with Dean about to get it and then getting screwed out by corporate Kane continues the feud on because at this point, obviously you don't want Dean to be money in the bank, Mr. Money in the bank. Giving that to Seth Rollins is perfect because it then gives Dean someone something to to jump into every single time Seth Rollins goes to try and cash in, which is which is a brilliant narrative crux that they'll go to after Money in the Bank. But yeah, look, as I said, this is because this is built around a story and because it has that as a, the centerpiece for the match, it, it just works better than most of the Money in the Bank matches that I've seen. And I don't ask me to quote anything about the other ones because I really just cannot remember any of the other money money in the bank matches around this time <laughs> they do just kind of happen and this one again it does stick yeah. out because there is a bit of a central story but at the end of the day it's been a very good match I really enjoyed it I think this was close to five star territory and probably I think it was the finish that really kind of knocked it off. And I get it. It's WWE and it's kind of further story. So it's not the worst thing mm. in the world, but I fucking hated Kane around the stage. He was in check <laughs> yeah. in every single match that Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins has had. And I was like, this is just the beginning of, I just want this guy to go away. It was stupid. I just felt like this is so unnecessary. I say like, listen, there was a lot of awkward and tough bumps in this match. I think like if there was a spinal surgeon in the crowd, he'd be very happy because he's probably <laughs> going to get a lot of business at the end of this yeah. game. But like, yeah. I did love this match. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed looking back until the last few seconds and that's just, you know, that's WWE and I, I kind of accept that. I can, I'm, I'm not that I give them a pass, but, you know, it is what it is. 
But I think I think like having a screw you like a the term now is a fuck finny. Doing that all the time is what has ruined it. But like by itself, in this case, it is actually a good thing to do. Like that was the right decision for this match and for this story. But because it's been overdone, you can't even do it right when you do it right now. If that makes sense. No, it does. It's just they go to the well far too often, not yep. just on TV but at pay per views. As soon as you get like you're close, you just think to yourself, I wouldn't mind a clean finish. Just, the, Dean Ambrose can still look strong in the feet here without Kane needing to get involved, but it is what it is. And again, it forwards the story. And this is where my problem with Sekrons begins because. I look at him and I think he's been booked as a cowardly heel that wants to get away where previously before he he was like, listen, he was the guy who was all for fighting. He was throwing himself around like a lawn dart to get the shield over. He wasn't afraid to get himself hurt. And now he's just reverted to this sort of cowardly mid-card type heel while he should be really elevated to a much higher standard. And I would use the comparison of Triple H when he joined the corporate ministry way back when at a corporation. He was suddenly, he changed his look, same way Seth has. He looked he looked different he looked like he was about to evolve he got this the short trunks and instead of becoming a cowardly hill accepted he became a badass he was whipping out the, the, the sledgehammer to stage he was going after the rock he had some really bloody feuds and this is really what Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose should have had what were your thoughts on Seth's character at this stage and how he was being presented see I disagree that he's a coward I don't think he was cowardly I think he's a smart he's a smart man as I said, like he he's the architect, he's driven for success, and he knows that Dean Ambrose is a big danger to him, and he knows that Dean he knows Dean Ambrose's capacity. Like he is he wrestled alongside Dean Ambrose. He picked him to be part of the Shield because he is such a capable wrestler, and because he is so violent, and because he is so dangerous. But the reason I say he's not a coward is because when the time came to do violence he didn't shirk from it. Like in, as we're going to see, when we look at the, particularly the Lumberjack and the Hell in a Cell match, when the time came that he had to get stuck in, he did. You know, he didn't shy away from that. He just wanted to make sure that these things happened on his terms, which I think fits with his character as being like, I am going to be the smart one in this in this situation because I'm... Not sure my my capabilities are necessarily better than Dean Ambrose. I'll say they are in a promo because, of course, I will. But I'm not actually 100% sure they are. But I know I can be smarter than Dean Ambrose. And so I'm going to have to outsmart him. No, I can't really fault your logic in that sense and I can see what you're trying to portray and why his character is motivated and how he's covering but like I would have liked him just to be a little bit more tougher like if this is a guy we're eventually going to be pushing as a main event and it can, mm. not every heel has to be the, the smart logical yeah. heel it's like he this guy he can be booked as a as a force to be reckoned with in the ring and then therefore he would look more more impressive and harder to be in long term yeah. and you're WWE you have the control of this you have you can book mm. him any way you want and if that's the way you're going to go with the way you did that's fine that's grand but personally speaking i would have had him just a little bit more mess and a little bit more dominant he was again not that he was necessarily cowardly i think i probably spoke a little bit you know out of turn in that sense but he definitely wasn't built as a this is a, a mean badass not that he had to be a badass but just someone that like they say like triple h in mm. 1999 someone that looked like yeah he's going to be tough to be he's going to be hard to be from just from a, a physical point of view not necessarily from a logical point of view but he is going to be a person that's going to be in the way he's going to give you a fight and he's going to really do mm. his best to keep you down but listen it is what it is and again by, by no means was this offensive 
sense of this is just a me nitpicking more than anything else and mm. I feel this could have been that little bit stronger but he gets the briefcase here gets the assist by Corporate Kane and we're moving the story along and he's going to cash in sometime soon but Dean Ambrose is he's listening <laughs> I've got a thorn on my side I'm not going to be going down this road whatsoever and because Anytime you go cash it in, I'm going to be right there, buddy. And this is exactly what really happened as things went on. And eventually Rollins gets it, has enough and says, you know what? We're going to settle this. We want to settle this in the ring. And this is the build that brings us to battleground. And this is where I think WWE just, I, I, I don't think they should be booking this match to begin with at battleground. And mm. of course, it never happens. It's at a time when they're pushing the network. They're pushing it as 9.99 that you have to And if you buy this pay-per-view or this network subscription for this match and you don't get it, I am pretty pissed off. It's just, yeah. it's a bait and switch that I didn't need. And this is something that like, oh, I just think, come on guys, just, if, if you just want to book a confrontation, book a confrontation, just tell us, just don't promise us a match. Not that it needed to be a match yet. I think it's grand pushing it down the road to SummerSlam, but I just think this was just the wrong move from a WWE point of view. And what were your thoughts on the match that ever was? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I get what you're saying there and I, I do agree However, I'm I'm glad they didn't do the match at Battleground. They just shouldn't have booked it, really. Yeah. They're, they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place because, like, narratively, they do actually have – like, something has to happen because these two have to, like, come into conflict somehow and things have been going on long enough that they can't just do nothing and just keep it going as it is because it's too long to SummerSlam at this point. But I'm glad they didn't do the match this night because um, two years later, there's – in 2016, they should have waited till SummerSlam for the Shield Triple Threat, but they did it at Battleground instead. And now what is, I think, a great match is robbed of, like, its historical impact because it's on a, like, let's face it, like, a, basically a D-level pay-per-view, really. Um, not even a B-level pay-per-view. <laughs> That's a match that should have happened at SummerSlam, the Shield Triple Threat. And and this Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins finally actually getting it on in a, in a match is something that should be reserved for a match like SummerSlam because it is such a big deal. Like, Dean is... He's the original on site at this point. Like every time yes. Rollins shows up, he is doing that. He's a weekly pop machine because it's just like, how is Dean Ambrose going to get Seth Rollins this week? And people want to see him get Seth Rollins this week, like every single week. I like the way they did it. You know, if we're just going to critique this and say like, they, they shouldn't have done it, but what did they actually do? Like, I do think like, dangerous it felt unpredictable every time seth rollins is on screen it's like a ticking time bomb of like when's ambrose going to show up how's he going to show up and and the crowd's into that and while i don't particularly like what, yeah. how they got there the crowd are still into this they still have yeah, the crowd absolutely. on side these mm. two i'd arguably say they're the best performers in the company at this point Ambrose is really he's he's hitting the stride. He's over. Yep. He's organic, and people are into him. And he's he's connecting. Well, Seth Rollins, he can work in the ring. I've never ever had a problem with his in ring work. He is a fabulous mm. worker. And I'm thinking when these two finally do collide, it's gonna be a good match. And we get the the the, the lumberjack match at SummerSlam. They finally gonna collide and. They keep them always in confined in a way. I think the, the words Dean uses here is a cage of flesh, if you will. Oh, this is so good. Like the way it, when when they I, I remember like reading that they were going to do a lumberjack match because at the time it was like 
I'd read the the review and then I'd go and watch what had happened because just the way timing think when things happen here in Australia. And I remember reading Lumberjack match and being like, oh, that sucks. I want to I wanted a cage match or something. But then you go and watch the the promo and and he goes like the words are Seth Rollins stuck in the middle of this ring with nowhere to run because if you try and run, you're going to run into a wall of bodies, the same bodies we built our reputation on, the bodies we used to stack on top of each other. We made a lot of enemies together, Seth, and he those enemies it. are going to make sure that ain't nobody going to run from this. Those enemies are going to make sure that we tear each other apart. It's such an incredible, well, not subversion, but like incredible usage of a stipulation that no one really cares for. It suddenly has like a whole lot of narrative narrative meaning behind it and it gives the lumberjacks so much more of a directive because like all of a sudden oh we have something to do we want these guys to kill each other because they killed us and we want them to you know we want them to beat the crap out of each other and if we get a chance we're gonna have a take a pot shot at them because now's the chance where i can get back for for what they did to me Oh, I like. I have to say, like, I wasn't a fan of the stipulation. I retossed straight away. It's like, oh, like they again, they have control about where this match can go. And I'm thinking, lumberjack match. This is a match I would hate on TV, let alone on a pay per view. And I think this is this, they could be just give them a straight match. You don't necessarily have to have it in a, a gimmick yet. That can be later down the road. But to be honest with you, this match, I knew these two guys were going to be good workers, and hopefully the stipulation will hold them back. And thankfully that wasn't the case like you know like if you we look back at this match it's it's actually a really good match i forgot how enjoyable this match necessarily oh. was like you know it wasn't too long ago like you look at these kind of feuds and, and lumberjack match and thinking yourself, this this isn't going to be a, a good thing to go into this is a, a gimmick of a bygone area that was never i've never really i can't remember a lumberjack match i've ever really enjoyed beyond this one and listen the crowd hopefully will be hot for them these two can at least kill it and make something good out of it. And I think that's what we got. What were your thoughts on the stipulation itself? And then, of course, on the actual how the match went down. Yeah, as I said, like, this is a great example of why character and story is so important in wrestling. Like, and completely chaotic from the minute, like, these two start brawling. And then when the lumberjacks start to get involved and there's just bodies going everywhere, Dean is throwing himself everywhere. And as I said, like Seth Rollins, he's a smart man. He's I do not want to be in the middle of all of this. And so he tries to get away, but they're brawling all around the center. And then the lumberjack running around the crowd, it's completely chaotic, but in an incredible way, watching this match, you don't get a chance to breathe. It's like 12 minutes long and has absolutely no pause the whole time and the action is just so exciting to watch no i think seth Rollins really he does really well in this match but he is outshone mm. and again maybe i'm a little biased but i feel he's outshone by ambrose who is a oh, charisma magnet yep. he shines brighter than anyone else here in this segment i think if you ignore the lumberjacks I think you read this is a really good match. This is fantastic, to be honest with you. Rollins looks great, but Ambrose just he just looks like a star ready to break mm. out. And I'm back on board in this view. These two have <laughs> made me reinvest. They've, they've pulled me back in when I thought I was out. And I just think I want to see these two go out now to the mm. next stipulation match. Again, we we get the interference from you know who, but listen, it is what it is. It's WWE, and I'm okay with it because I really enjoy this overall. I think I think this is probably just about I say four star territory. I think I, it was yeah. excellent. I think i don't think it was any more but judging by the stipulation this could have been a lot worse this is a fantastic piece of adaptation and innovation to try and keep this as probably the best lumberjack match in modern times 
I wanted to just highlight a couple of moments that I thought were incredible. There's this bit where, so after they get back in the ring, like they literally carry Seth Rollins back in the ring and then Dean throws himself on top of everyone. But it's a great they're visual. back in the ring and Dean's like cradling Seth Rollins and like talking to him before <laughs> they hit the curb stomp. And one of the things I love about the rivalry between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and the thing that I think makes it so compelling and one of the things that makes it like their run between well, I would even argue like FCW 20, you know, 20, 2011, 2012 FCW to, to when they reunited in 2017 is they never stop loving each other as brothers, even when they're like Dean Ambrose is so he, he wants to punish Seth Rollins, but he wants to punish Seth Rollins because Seth Rollins is a brother that hurt him. And he remains a brother this whole time. Like, Dean is cradling him before he goes to hit the curb stomp on him. And even though, as he said, Kane interrupts, like Kane interrupts and then suddenly every gold dust comes in and then suddenly everyone is fighting. And it's like the crowd is so into it, even though you don't like the Kane interruption. I know you don't like the Kane interruption. Just retire already, <laughs> like, Mr. Jacobs. Go be a mayor somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you get you get like the the finish of there's just because of that chaos dean gets distracted by it all and rollins being the smart guy in the is able to blindside dean ambrose with the money in the bank briefcase as dean is getting the last of the lumberjacks out the the whites um out just wanted to really particularly highlight like the way that that moment takes place where they're like he's angry at him and he's talking trash to him but he's still cradling him because he's still his brother and you know he's literally the love between them or the, the friendship or whatever you want to call it the that's bond still yeah. there he hasn't moved on yeah. from it like, from an emotional standpoint and this is like he's hurt but he's still like like what the fuck did you have to do this for brother yeah <laughs> and that's what makes it you know but that's what makes in 2017 when these two you reunite like they're going back and forth over they're drawing out like literally just a fist bump over four weeks and it's because they've got like such a depth of relationship built in through things like this um that shows like even throughout this whole thing there's a lot of depth to this relationship and even though these guys are really at odds at the moment like there's still like something there there's still a bond there of brotherhood. I don't want to overstate this, but you probably I am overstating. But this big Steve Austin energy from Ambrose to the stage. Mm. He he's oh, he's yeah. an he's an hero he, He's not conventional. Yep. This guy he's he's not a nice guy necessarily, but the fans can relate to him. And he mm. he loses this match. Yeah, he still looks so strong. And this is how this match. Like if you're gonna book a lumberjack match in 2014, this is how you do it. This is excellent work. Whoever booked and structured mm. this match, they've done a great job. Seth looks great. Ambrose looks yep. even better. At the despite losing like everyone's winning. four and a half stars from me by the yeah. way <laughs> smashing stuff listen listen i'm not mm. going to disagree with that like it wrestling's always going to be subjective at the end of the day and it, i think once you enjoy it like that's all that matters isn't it like i think a lot of credit i think i'd probably say the match would be four stars but the effort put in by both men will be five stars in that sense because oh, yeah. they've taken a shit stipulation they've made absolute brilliance out of it and they, they're excellent workers dean ambrose he's like, in my opinion he's put the pieces together he was always that guy that had something here, he's been obviously working his ass off in the shield, bumping for Roman and Seth and building, doing most of the heavy lifting. And now he has his chance to shine. And this is the fruits of the last two years or so on. And he's mm. finally getting a chance. But the next night we're straight into, I think this is where things get into the, a little bit more of a, from a character, from a story point of view, it goes downhill. But from the match point of view, it's excellent. It's a false count anywhere match. 
we start off by you know Dean Ambrose throws a bucket of ice over Seth Rollins and we're, I, I, this this is where it's for charity they could, they, could do, they could do so much better with this and like then they, they let the fans pick the stipulation and all the stipulations are exactly the same yeah, like, it's like come on guys like this isn't this it's not I'm not saying like it, it's it's easy to book something like you know but this it has to be easier and you much more you know rewarding if a monkey did this rather than whoever it is in WWE creative it's, it's terrible because these two guys are excellent workers and whatever build and how they structure and get to these matches is just a disservice to these guys but the match itself the falls count anywhere I, I loved it what were your thoughts yeah look it, it had that same like violent chaotic energy that the um, lumberjack match had just before it you know there's like a lot of violence here this ups the stakes as well like you get chairs you get tables and then of course it crescendos with the cinder blocks coming out which at a in a period when there was no blood and you know like the mo- and no barbed wire no fire a, a very a much more pg era for for mainstream wrestling that felt so violent and you can hear that in the crowd when like the crowd is really into this match, but when those cinder blocks come out and it looks like Seth Rollins is going to curb stomp Dean Ambrose, the crowd is like it's audibly shocked at what they're witnessing. It feels really transgressive, really violent, and like ups the stakes in the level of animosity and the level of violence that these two are doing to each other. You know, to a new level. Yeah, this is another great match. <laughs> Oh, and you can see that with the crowd. I think, especially with comparison to Roman Reigns, like Ambrose is so over. You know, like mm. he clearly has something. There's something here at this point. I think if you are a WWE, it's creative just the body, energy that he yeah. that he like. It, if you watch Stone Cold in like '96, '97, when he comes out, he's like shaking with adrenaline, and and when he delivers his lines, there's a look in his eye where you just believe him and you can just see the intensity of the, his stare and that's what Dean Ambrose has at this point and I think that Dean Ambrose was like ready to burst at this point and, and could have been something incredible in the WWE if they just had the, you know, the the bravery to go with someone that wasn't necessarily what they wanted, wasn't necessarily the cookie cutter they wanted. He was already slotted in at this stage. I think they already had their, their mind made up at Roman. They were going to go on. Mm, I, don't, yep. I don't blame yeah. them for that. I really no, don't. Look at him. <laughs> if, you look, if you look at Roman, especially in early 2014, the guy is over. They, they and he was over. Back. Yeah. Yeah. But this it, things are falling apart from Reigns and it's the opposite here for Ambrose he's going from strength to strength uh, Ambrose and Rollins you know they're, they're not Roman Reigns in WWE's eyes that's what they want and they've already chosen mm-hmm. him and Ambrose and Rollins are just they're going to be other parts within the WWE sort of machine and like he's organically getting over he's arguably getting over in a way that WWE didn't want him necessarily to they this is the way this is what they wanted for Roman and like you know like it's it's just a bad thing that they didn't capitalize on whatever way WWE we book people they like to be in control they like to be the ones who are making these decisions and when you when things don't go to, to plan necessarily in a good way they're very stubborn when they they don't want mm. to push people that are, in their eyes aren't ready and by, by they can that's just it's just a, a sad sort of indictment to the way the system works there because he, he was getting over to no fault of Roman he the fans just didn't want him you know that was it the, mm. Roman wasn't Roman's fault that he wasn't getting over that's just it's suffering suck attached creative bullshit that really hampered him and like he was exposed badly when he shouldn't have been where Ambrose was kind of given that's the best way of putting it like you know unrelated freedom to do things he wasn't much expectation to get him over but he got himself over and it's just a pity that like you know they never really capitalized this because this match 
that you can see both guys, Rollins and Ambrose, they're putting the work in. This is a, a violent affair. There's some excellent spots, some really crazy spots, innovative spots as well. I just think this is what the fans want. And despite the awful storytelling, these two guys are still knocking it out of the park. And it's, it's mm. just a pity that WWE haven't got the creative response capitalized on this. And it's just, it's a real pity. But, you know, these guys, I, I think this match was better than the, the SummerSlam match. I think this was much more enjoyable for me. I hadn't got the distraction of the, the, the Lumberjacks. And I think these two guys, they, they, they have so, so really good chemistry together. Mm, yeah, look... I think I like the Lumberjack match just a little bit more. I love the – I think part of it is I, I love the fact that they just went out and reinvented the match almost or, like, redefined the match of what, what is possible in a Lumberjack match and and on a big stage as well um, is something that I loved. Just to what you are saying with Roman Reigns, I do just want to – like, this was meant to write Dean Ambrose off, uh, and I think they probably and, – and they were going to be slotting Reigns into opposite Seth Rollins – and if that had happened, I do think Roman Reigns could have... I don't know if he would have got Dean Ambrose-level reactions because he, he doesn't have, like, that that level of intensity. But I think I think people would have really been into him getting his hands on Seth Rollins. Um, and if he'd had a chance to to do that, it, it might have changed what, it ha- what ended up happening with him, but unfortunately got injured. And, and I do also just... Because we haven't mentioned it yet, like, I, I love how... Seth being Mr. Money in the Bank plays into him sort of being elevated as well because he, like, being Money in the Bank, Metaway, like, we know from a non-kayfabe perspective, like, they're going to be the next, one of the next world champions. Or at least uh, positioned as a chance to be a challenger at the very least. Yeah, and but that, like, plays so perfectly into Seth Rollins' character at the moment as well. And even though we've gone past the money in the bank, he's, he's still carrying that briefcase around and it's all battered up and everything. But I think this is because of how it plays into his character and how it plays into this rivalry as well um, that he's having with Dean Ambrose. I think this is one of the things that makes Seth Rollins run as Mr. Money in the Bank, one of the best Money in the Bank runs, probably barring the, fir- the very first one with Edge. Oh, like, and it's... In 2022, I look at it and it is like it's overdone. I wish the money in bank would go oh, away. Yeah. But at this stage, I remember thinking like this: he is a perfect recipient of this particular yep. voice, and it, it's, this is how it should work. Yeah, I, I've no problem with him being pushed eventually to that position again, in a similar way to Edge was perhaps in mm. 2006. And Rollins has something here. He's clearly an excellent in-ring worker. He's getting the elevation. He's getting the shine, and he's being presented almost, you know, at least as someone that is is important. I think is, mm. is the booking is really what kind of sidelined him. And hampered him really to be be able to maximize his skill and his potential to a full full extent. But mm-hmm. I do think like himself and Ambrose, like while they're they're getting over, are they in a better position than they were when the Shield at this point? Like because they're still they're not at the main event level. They're not gone on there. Well, Roman is the one who's been. They're about to be though. Well, well, debatable. I think, like, I think, like, I, I wouldn't have thought like Seth Rollins was ready for the main event just yet at this stage. Like, I look at. Dean Ambrose, I think myself, he is a guy who he they could easily push to the main event level. If they got behind him the same way they got behind Awesome and he was getting these kind of reactions, that's the difference between the two. One guy was given that yep. sort of momentum, the leg up to sort of become the star where he just kind of let Ambrose be Ambrose and didn't really mm. give him that extra spunt up to the, to the main event level. And he said, like, well, we don't need to. But he writes him off. He's gone off now to, to film a movie. He's gone off to uh, 12 rounds too. 
which I can't wait to review for as a special bonus episode of this episode. <laughs> I'm going there. I don't. I, I, I've never seen the film, but I just think I have to at least watch this first movie. You know, like give it a good uh, give going over. You know, but Seth Rollins he continues his shtick. He's Mr. Money and Bank. He's you know he's teasing cash ins. He's having open challenges, and you know eventually. Dean Ambrose eventually returns at night to champion. We have an old brawl. Cena gets involved in the mix the next night in Raw. And again, the kid eventually culminates to the Hell in a Cell match. And then to be honest with you, I hate the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view as a name, as a device that happens every year. But the flow of this match goes directly to a Hell in a Cell or big stupid mm. match. So I'm not too... You know, I'm not too pissed off at this kind of thing. It doesn't feel forced. It feels like it's at least a natural progression. What were yeah. your thoughts on the build of this match and how we got to Dean versus Seth as the big blow off? Yeah, a few things I wanted to say about the build to this match. I Firstly, I absolutely agree. Like, this is the perfect time for a Hell in a Cell match because what's been happening, like, this is, and, and so much of this original, um, this Hell in a Cell is a tribute to the original Hell in a Cell match between Taker and, and Michaels. And, like, God, the reason that for that was because they, Taker and Michaels, they wanted to get them one-on-one in a situation where people couldn't get in and that's exactly what's happening here dean is just constantly getting interrupted by corporate kane by triple h by randy orton by j and j security and so getting them into hell in a cell is the it's the perfect time for it and it's like one of the few times where wwe's managed to write a story that's like perfectly crescendoed with a hell in a cell at hell in a cell (laughs) the hell in a cell match benefits immensely from the fact that like these two are in a heated feud as opposed to like three weeks ago they they hadn't even uttered each other's names for six months and before Um, before this match even begins you're thinking right you've got dean ambrose you got Seth Rollins. They've already knocked it out of the park on two different mm. occasions. You're giving them a really big gimmick match. I'm excited. I'm I'm thinking this is going to mm. be really something special. But uh, the other thing I was going to to say was you can see how this program has elevated both of them in that like before this. So at Money in the Bank, they're wrestling in the Money in the Bank match, which is below the World Heavyweight Title match. And then at SummerSlam, they're wrestling in the mid card. Whereas coming up to Hell in a Cell. They're wrestling alongside John Cena and Randy Orton, um, who are like the two biggest names of the previous generation. I would say they're the there was a generation between Cena and Orton and Rollins and Ambrose of like the Cody Rhodes as Drew McIntyre's who are like literally only now getting their flowers in WWE. <laughs> but that's another that's another story for another time. But like Cena and Orton are the two biggest deals in this in the company being presented alongside them. Like Ambrose and Cena have some great promos in the lead up to this. And that really like show a lot of Dean Ambrose character, who he is, what he values. And you know, he actually the knock on Dean Ambrose and the thing they always say and WWE commentary at this point is just atrocious. Like Jerry Lawler should be off TV at this point. JBL is, is next to useless. Um, They're a distraction. And the thing that they keep saying about Dean Ambrose is, Oh, he's wacky. He's wacky. He's a lunatic. But like, they he beat that horse into the ground. Oh, it's ridiculous. When in fact he, yeah, he is someone who is chaotic, but he's not an idiot. Like he outsmarts John Cena in their contract on a pole match. You know, both of them want to get at Seth Rollins and it's Dean Ambrose who manages to actually outwit John Cena to get at Seth Rollins. He, Dean Ambrose forgoes charging at Seth Rollins even. when Whereas John Cena charges after C, um, Seth Rollins and that's when Dean Ambrose manages to get the contract. And, you know, like it is a contract on a pole match, so it's not it's not a huge deal. Who are the people that have gone over John Cena at this point? Like Brock Lesnar, 
Bray Wyatt once in a feud where I think Cena won three times. And before that, it's like The Rock. You know, John Cena has a very winning record and, you know, it is contract on a pole match. But there is some wacky stuff that doesn't necessarily reflect well creeping in, like the hot dog vendor, for example. (laughs) Um, But you know what? Like, I think with the WWE, Dean Ambrose is making it work as much as he can. And when he gets a chance to be serious, like when they have this promo with um, Mick Foley, before it, he's like playing with this Seth Rollins mannequin and like stabbing him with a screwdriver and doing this stupid stuff, which somehow he still manages to make look not ridiculous. Um, But then when Mick Foley gets in, they have promo gold going back and forth between the three of them. And it's, it's a really intense, really gripping promo piece. Uh, And you know, that's what Dean Ambrose is doing is like, well, I can make the wacky stuff work and, and not kill my career with it. But then when I get the chance, I'm going to just go out there and and slay it with these really intense promos that the crowd is super into. I think he's always given it like a hundred percent again. Like he's had a lot of bad material over his WWE run and whether it's Mitch the plant or whether it's the EC3, you know, stick or the Nia mm. Jack stick, he, he gets bad deals, but he makes the most out of them and tries his best to think, you know what, I'm going to take this. I'm going to get this over. And he's again, the wacky stuff They're They're not as best, you know, his best use of them, but he still tries to turn them into, you know, lemons to lemonade. And at the end of mm. the day, listen, that's just part of his work. I think, I think he, you know, he, he turns it for work. He, want me to do this I'm, I'm gonna do this as best i can that's mm. the end of it regardless if i like it or not but he he gives it that sort of you know that college try every time and again he his enthusiasm his motivation he's always there and he, he always looks authentic he always looks like he's believable he looks like he's unpredictable i think that's why i'm kind of drawn to him he kind of like he you don't know mm. what's going to happen necessarily yeah week yeah and that's exciting right part of the excitement of this was like how is particularly early in this feud it was how is dean ambrose going to get seth rollins this week and that was exciting for the crowd like seth rollins would be on screen and you'd be like where's he going to come from right now (laughs) like where is he going to pop out of what's he going to do to him how how's he going to get his hands on him Uh, and that's exciting for if you're watching wrestling if you know something like that's going to happen you know you're kind of sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for it to happen and yeah look both of these guys really made themselves in this feud seth rollins as well like he as I said at the start, I think this was the perfect place for him because he didn't have the mic and character necessarily that, say, Dean Ambrose just naturally just has this the gift of gab. But by the end of this feud, um, which is now, like, it's been going on for a number of months. Yeah, it's, it's you June. Know, starts in June, goes through to the end of October. He's improved a lot on the mic and that, that showdown with Mick Foley um, coming out. He is really matching them. Oh, you know, he's not like overshining Mick Foley and Dean Ambrose god no but uh, you know he's holding his own in a in a promo in, in a promo segment with two of the greatest mic people in my opinion two of the greatest mic performers ever Oh, and like it's it's nice to see Mick Foley in the build here because not only does it give the the feud a little bit more of a stamp of approval for lack of a better word, but I like seeing it because this is probably a feud that we could have gotten in 2012 with Dean Ambrose and Mick Foley. Mm. I was like, this is a nice little, yep. this is this is what we're gonna it's a get. Wink and a nod. Yeah, exactly. You're Cody Rhodes, if you will. He loves a good wink and a nod. But <laughs> <laughs> it is like the the match itself. I think straight away. They're they're going to the uh, they're going to climb the cell. I already got chills. What were your opinions of how they booked this match? And like you've already mentioned, the original Bad Blood 1997 Shawn Michaels Taker match. And how did you feel this compared to probably the original and probably one of the best Hell in a Cell matches ever? 
Yeah, I, I love this match. I, I think this is a brilliant match again. <laughs> you're not going to get much much negative out of it. I will say the WWE commentary is atrocious, like particularly in this match. This is meant to be, this is the blow-off of the best feud and the most intense feud that the crowd is into that the WWE has had in a long time. Well, that's probably not true because Daniel Bryan was at WrestleMania. <laughs> but one of the best, well, particularly like if you're thinking about, you know, non-championship, just a storyline feud, this is one of the best that they've done. And two, um, two new stars as well. And two new stars. Dean Ambrose comes down and he's looking super intense. He's like throwing chairs out. And then you've got Harry Lawler saying, I'm waiting for him to bring out a pogo stick. Like, would you say that Shut about the Steve fuck Austin? Up, he's, or, or like... <laughs> like the undertaker when they're coming out like no you wouldn't would you say it about mankind oh, when he like, comes out i know no, it's not separate like, to this but like in the why feud that i was just recently recorded he spends the part of the start of the match talking about triple h sending a tweet i'm like shut the fuck up just just yeah. call the match in the ring yeah. and the, like don't do not detract away from what's going on and pogo stick i was like just bounce in my head i was like please mm. And the thing, the worst thing about this, like they've gone raw. I think in the last week or two, I think you know, I think he's replacing someone, Corey Graves, since he's on his honeymoon. I'm thinking this is the last guy you want in 2022. Yeah, jumping into commentary, like God, he was he was years past it in 20. He was years past it in like 2008 when I first started watching wrestling, oh. let alone like 2014, 2022. But like you look at Dean Ambrose, like he he obviously he can't hear that because he's he's wrestling a match. But like he comes out, he's got a kendo stick on his back and. And he looks up. He looks up, and he goes, "We're all gonna die tonight." And like climbs on top of the cell. You know, Seth Rollins isn't happy about that. And then their brawl sends J and J up, and then they're brawling like three on one up the top. Dean even hits like a suplex on them, and they're just kind of teasing the edge, and then teasing that they're going to go over the edge. And then Seth, because he's as I said, like once again, he's a smart man. He tries to climb down, but Dean catches him. And then in like a brilliant character moment for Dean, he headbutts him. You know, like this is a guy, he's violent and he's willing to hurt himself to go after person that he wants to hurt. Like he's willing to do damage to himself and he headbutts Seth Rollins. And that sends them both off the side of the cage in the same way that Shawn Michaels went off the side of the cage in yes. that bad blood one. I, I have that written down here. You know, yep. like Shawn Michaels infamous fall from the first cage yep. match. I'm like glad I'm not the only person who, who just uh, yep. that's where, that's where my yep. mind went straight away. And even the stretcher job with a, that's, Brock, that's mankind Brock. undertaker. Yeah. I was like, these two <laughs> yep. guys get it. They're rewarding yep. me. Who's watched this as a fan, the same way they do there. And they're just little, yep. little nods to these things oh, i loved it yeah and then of course it's ambrose that is the one that comes off the stretcher because he's like no i'm this match will end when i decide and he goes in and he like demand he takes seth rollins in and he demands that they lock it he's yeah it's like you will be done when i am done and the crowd is just like so into and the whole of this Today you look at him and people make the comparisons with Terry Funk and that's the I, I thought straight away I was like yeah. oh my god this is this is a, a Terry Funk moment and I'm sure no one who was a WWE only kind of viewer would know what's going on here but this mm. guy he gets it he looks like he's just going to mm. be a, a house full of fire a man possessed and I'm I'm literally I yeah. watched this I, I think I mentioned it off air that I watched this two days removed from my daughter being born so I was sleep deprived mm. it was tired it was 2014 and I was really I, I didn't care 
care for this match or whatever. And I, my main thoughts of this match was the ending and watching this again and watching how this build happens and then and everything that goes on. I'm actually, I completely turned the corner in this match. I really, mm. from something that really has a, such a negative sort of memory, I'm loving this at the moment. Mm. And this is this is pro wrestling at its finest. Yeah. You know, I love the pace that Dean Ambrose has once they lock that gate because he's like got so much pent up frustration, but he takes his time getting it out because he knows that, you know, like whereas the the lumberjack and the the Falls Count Anywhere match were like just a flurry of action um, because, you know, he's just trying to get off as much as he can because he knows he's going to get interrupted at some point. He knows he's not going to get interrupted now. So like he sits down and he's like, you stabbed me in the back, you son of a bitch. And he takes his time with just some really deranged looking chair shots, getting out that frustration. And, you know, like, as I said, Seth Rollins, he mans up in this match. I've got to do violence now. And he does, you know, like he power bombs, power bombs him through a table and hits the curb stomp. And he he delivers like a slew of chair shots of his own. It's a, it's a great performance from both of them, like selling his ass off at first and then, and, and Dean just like letting it all out. And then Seth coming back on the counter. And as I said, manning up and, and getting his own back. He was like a vigilante. He's going to take his time here with him. He's caught his prey. He's going to like make him repent. And it was just, I don't know. I, I just really, up until the moment, obviously, we that they finished the match. I love yeah. this. This was perfect. Dean, this is probably the best Dean Ambrose has looked in WWE. Seth Rollins are, is the same. Yeah, tell me a, like a, a pairing in WWE, better chemistry than these guys. You can see these two, they, they're, they're getting it. And they're, they, they have the platform finally to really put their best foot forward at the main event, mm. which they haven't been able to do thus far. And they're knocking it out of the park. And it's just a pity the finish is what it is, because I think this could very well be five-star territory. And I think it does fall short because of the finish. What were your thoughts on... Bray Wyatt and the Lantern in the ring. Yeah, look, I'm I'm torn on this because I would love to have seen him, you know, because the tease is that Dean Ambrose is about to curb stomp Seth Rollins through cinder blocks. But then the the spectre of Bray Wyatt arrives. But, like, this is a tribute to the past. Like, this is Kane yes. coming in. and Yeah, like, I have it written down right here. Kane ripping the door off the cell. Yeah, this- the thing where this lets it down is it's not – Kane ripping the door off the cell. Like, it's, it's not a fresh new character you know, that's like, giving you that kind of new yeah. sort of kick it up the arse to sort of like, this is take, yeah. pay attention. This is, ah, fuck's sake, Bray Wyatt. <laughs> yeah. But but at this point, most people still thought Bray Wyatt was going to have it. Like, I didn't. They, I really didn't. didn't. I, I, I hate it. That's just, that's just me. This is me. And I probably am on an island and that, and that's okay. But I, I feel that like he is... His stock had really been damaged by the scene a few at this stage. I think he should have went over at WrestleMania, and I think he was just kind of in and out, in and out since then. I think he never really recaptured the magic, and that's not his fault. It's not his fault, I think, is but he had go away heat from me at this stage, especially because yeah. I really love this match and I hated fuck finishes and. I just wanted this match just to have a conclusion. Whether it was Rollins going over or Ambrose going over, we thought Rollins probably needed to go over. But Yeah, look, I, I still go four and a half on this, even with the ending. I think this is one of the few modern Cell matches that really holds up to like the history of Hell in a Cell. It sets out a blueprint of how you can do PG Cells um, because even though like it's not ultra-violent, they make the violence that they do do mean something. Yeah, I, I, I really love this match. Even even excusing the, the ending, which, as we said, like, I can take it. I can just, I can deal with it. 
but it's not ideal. Oh, I, I just um, felt they had a hot angle. They're finally making the right booking mm. decisions. They're giving these guys a platform and they have to get cute and go in a ridiculous, mm. insane direction. I feel the end of this match was, for me, I felt like an insult, but you know, maybe I'm being too harsh on it. Maybe I don't want to be too negative, but I love this match until this point. And mm. like one should, I think WWE really should have taken a big, hard, long look at themselves and thinking, you had everything right. Why did you fuck it up? For me, again, maybe yeah. this is just me, but I felt like this I'm, was a great hell in the cell match to finish just suck the yeah line. yeah i'm gonna guess that i'm a bit higher on the the white ambrose feud than you are <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm guessing like i i, I really i actually like their survivor series match where particularly the ending when when dean takes the chair shot at bray white because i think it's like such an interesting riff on what they did with cena at, at wrestlemania and says and and speaks to the difference between dean and, and cena as characters which they were sort of juxtapositioning in the lead up to this hell in a cell match but yeah look i i love this and and also i want to note that this is this is actually a landmark match in that this is the first pay-per-view main event uh that only involves wrestlers that debuted in the 2010s um, yeah. for the WWE. So it's actually like a pretty big deal that they are main eventing this pay-per-view over a Hell in a Cell match with John Cena and Randy Orton might add as well. So like the WWE, even though like we know that they've got an eye on Roman Reigns uh, as like their big deal, they are they are but, putting some heft. But I do think from my point of view, I think the reason it went on last, and I'm thinking from a complete WWE creative point of view, is because of the finish, not because of how important they necessarily mm. thought it was. I feel like they put us on last because of the finish, and that was it. I don't think they necessarily viewed it as important to Cena Randy Orton, even though, in my opinion, it was. It was better than that. Cena <laughs> and Randy Orton can fuck off at this stage, but yeah. like, I really do think these are given this particular platform, not because of their skills or their accomplishments, but because of the way the finish is going to go. Similar to we've seen in plenty of other brain matches or interference sort of led mm. segues as, as we have in the past and like it's a pity that this is why this match went on last in my opinion but yeah I, I i agree with you these two guys these are young they're they're they're, they're given a chance here to to represent and put their best foot forward and they've done that 100 mm. percent. like this feud is this is like in some ways this is the hottest that dean ambrose ever is I, i'd say probably gets back to that point in the start of 2016 in particular but in many ways, like this is when people just really believed in him and really wanted him because of the energy that he was giving out, because of his intensity, because of the promos he was cutting. Like he was overshadowing Cena in promo interactions that they were having, which is not something that happens that often to John Cena. Like John Cena is a great pro, say what you like about him, but he was a great promo guy, particularly by this point of his career. But Dean Ambrose is matching him punch for punch on the mic and yeah, I think this for this chapter of their feud, as I said, like I think this rivalry goes from 2012 through to 2017. I kind of like, I just forget about what happened in 2018 and write that <laughs> off. <laughs> That's something you talked about with Rich Ladder, and he was a good person to do that with because him and I disagreed vehemently on it at the time, and he was proved to be right. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, uh, don't come at Rich Ladder unless you're going to hit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This chapter of of the story comes to a, a really good conclusion with this Hell in a Cell. Like I, you know, a breath off being a perfect conclusion, just for the way that this match is paced, the way that they're so intentional about everything, the way that like their story so infuses everything that's happening in the match yeah i i love this match and apart from the finish i am thinking the future is definitely bright that's the one thing as much as i can 100%. take away i'm thinking myself ambrose at this point in time it's 2014 
he has so much more to go. And I think mm. if they get behind him in the right way, he could be special. Same as Seth Rollins. I think they did a very good job of Seth Rollins as they progressed as well, especially with the, the Brock Lesnar Cena match we'd get at the Rumble, how mm. he eventually cashed in his money in the bank briefcase. They maximized mm. his potential up to that point. And I think WWE, in essence, has always been when they do something really well, I think it's just the follow-ups are always that little bit disappointing. Mm. And I think that's just their hallmark, really, in the end of the day. When, when they do something really good and it's great they just it's like like well, what do we do now <laughs> now i think it's yeah. always like an afterthought about what they're going to do next but like this match like i i really enjoyed it i'm going to ignore the finish i get the finish and <laughs> in, in, in hindsight i know i just think this match i didn't give it enough credit at the time i think again mm. that's probably down to sleep deprivation have having other things on but this this is really one that like i'm really glad i revisit mm. and glad i look back and thank you sam for coming on and yeah. have a chat with it all good. And I think, like, this feud in general, like, looking at this whole period we've just been talking about, like, coming out of the Shield, this is such a great piece of creative work by the WWE. As we said, it obviously has its hiccups, but, like, looking at it from a, like a macro perspective, like, it so clearly defines both of these two's characters coming out of the Shield, who they are, what they value, what their directions are going to be. And it, it established them as future stars as well with with them having like a featured match at SummerSlam, them having, you know, this main event in a Hell in a Cell and and given lots of time and the ability to, and these are guys are constantly focused on, on Raw and SmackDown, particularly towards the end of this. As I said, they're sharing platforms with Cena and Orton. And like at the time, I honestly thought that like these guys, that WWE was on the edge of like a creative renaissance um, because of how well they they were handling the building up of these three Shield guys. Obviously, I was wrong with that, but but I genuinely <laughs> thought that that was that that these guys were going to herald in like a, a gold era for yeah. for the WWE creative wise. It, it, it's the hope that killed you, Sam. Unfortunately, oh, it is a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at like eras like like the Attitude Era, for example, you can see the likes of Benoit and Jericho were in a very similar position to Ambrose and Rollins were then, and it was only a matter of time before they broke through. And the same with Rollins and Ambrose, it was only going to be a matter of time. It's just WWE creatively were were bankrupt at this stage well that they had the talent and they've never had an issue with talent they've had an extremely highly skilled roster over the last two decades it's just maximizing their potential has always been the problem and i don't i don't know why where the breakdown necessarily happens is it just at the top of vince is it the ideas that he's getting but it just seems to be a considerable trend that they just you know they never really get there but it was Sam, it was vince it was like triple a these guys were a, a triple h project as well like even though originally it seemed it's disputed how all this happened, but like originally Sam Punk pitched them, but they became a Triple H project because they were the guys out of FCW NXT. And so I think having him on their side politically was very advantageous because tri having Triple H on your side politically until recently has always been a really good move. <laughs> well, they definitely had someone <laughs> on their side because they they went over yeah. the likes of Ryback who was hot when he started off. They went over Cena. They went over established names yeah. like Big Show, Sheamus, Randy Orton their early run thinking no, they never one, lost. no one gets to do that. Well, they rarely lost. Mm. Yeah, they didn't lose for, I think, five or six months, I think, right saying. But like, they were an awesome faction. They've created three definitely stars who are still prominent today. And Sam, thank you so much for, you know, revisiting this with me. Without you, I would not be so happy today. And I came in probably a little bit more negative-minded. But you know what? From, <laughs> what, from watching it, listen, this is why we watch these things. We look back and see exactly where, you know, what our perceptions are and where we're going, we're going wrong. So, so thank you so much. Yeah, look, mate, I can only say thank you. I'm sorry for taking up so much of your time no, um, no, no as i said at the start like this is 
this is a stretch of re- I I came back to wrestling to watch Daniel Bryan, but I stayed to watch Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, and and I, I'd love to come back and talk about some of their later stuff as well because I I think like legacy you're wise, pumped. this you're is pumped one right of the- now. I, I can hear it in your voice. You're 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 <laughs> yeah. you're, you're psyched. Yeah, this is one of the greatest rivalries and stories that the WWE's ever told, uh, and and yeah, it's been a it was a joy to go back and and watch so much of it and just dig so deeply into it uh, and be reminded of why I love this era of the WWE as well. And this era of Dean Ambrose's career and the, you know, as I said, this is the thing that made me a fan of, of the bloke originally. And he's now my favorite wrestler of all time. Oh, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people reach you? Where can you know, we plug your work, AEW match guide and wrestlingheadlines.com. What's next on the horizon for you in the next few episodes? At the moment, I'm doing the AW Match Guide podcast. That's my main thing that I do. Uh, depending when this goes on to uh, when this goes to air, uh, I may be on a slight hiatus. But with the AW Match Guide, what we did um, back in at Double or Nothing after Double or Nothing 2021, uh, after AW had been running for two years, I polled a whole bunch of different um, commentators from around the internet wrestling community uh, and got them to rate their top 15 AEW matches. Uh, And we got a definitive list of 50 top matches that I thought was like, this is pretty much like the closest thing AEW will have to a a top 50 match guide um, that is by, you know, good faith commentators and and caters to a broad range of tastes. Because as much as I love things like cage match and grapple, I think that they are dominated by a certain type of wrestling. And I wanted to sort of, find a way around that. So the top 15 from all these different people, very diverse list of characters around the internet wrestling community for different websites, different podcasts, all that sort of stuff uh, and came up with a new, with a top 50 list and we'll be doing it again um, for the AEW year. It's happening from double or nothing 2021 to double or nothing 2022. Um, so the podcast, which digs into matches that showed up on that list, it will go on hiatus for just a short amount of time while we assemble a new list. And then we'll have a, a season two of the podcast and each episode on that podcast, we dig into one match in particular and, and look at that, look at the build up to it, the legacy of that match. Uh, and I've always got a, a great host of characters. If you want to check one out and you, you like Joey's stuff, Joey and I talked about John Moxley versus Chris Jericho, um, which was a very enjoyable chat, uh, and that was a, that was uh, something you'll find on the podcast feed if you look it up. That's the AW Match Guide, or if you find me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Um, I'm always happy to talk some Dean Ambrose or John Moxley. You know, it's a fantastic show, and I, particularly if there's an episode that I really loved, it would have been the Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes one because there was a lot of information that necessarily I wasn't necessarily privy to. It was a learning experience, and not only that, because it's a really fantastic view to revisit. So, Sam, thank you so much for coming on, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers, Joey. Thank you. And that is the end of today's show. Thanks very much to Sam for coming on, and you can catch me personally at Twitter on Awesome Joe or the show at Mox Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Take care and we'll see you again soon. Bye.